there is a psalm that has as kind of a chorus to this song that God's people would sing repeatedly after a number of verses. It just repeats... Uh, man, I can't remember all of a sudden. <laughs> oh, this is not good when this happens. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever, unlike my memory. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love and mercy endures forever. You know, we do take a look at a simple phrase like that. We really kind of need to go back to the beginning to start getting a picture of, of what this means, to start talking about how it is that the Lord is good. So we're, we're going to go back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, where it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. We continue through Genesis and we would see that not only was light created, but then there was the separation of the waters, that there was the creation of land, that there was the filling of, of all these things with plants and vegetation, with the animals of the, the air, the birds of the air, the, the animals of the sea, to fill the earth with all of the animals of the land, and also, of course, then to create humanity. And in each of these sections, there's this little phrase... That at the end of that part of creation, it says God saw that it was good. So I think what we need to start with is understanding that what made it good is that God is good. The concept of, of, of good being that that which is kind and desiring our welfare. So when we see all these things, that, that God created light and it's good. Why? Because He desires our welfare. That the land and the earth is good. Why? Because God desires our welfare. That as he filled the skies with stars and with the sun and the moon and those things that we can order to the, the chaos by giving us days and structure, it's good because he desires our welfare. And that he, as he fills his creation, it's good because he desires our welfare. God is good. As we reflect on that simple phrase, we have to confess that we have days where that's a hard phrase to reconcile with. So often we, we look at our own circumstances and situations that my life isn't going exactly how I want it, at least not in this particular Moment. And, and often the, the difficulty that we find with, with reconciling the concept that God is good when we look at the circumstances of our life, often we have to be honest with the fact that it's because we feel ourselves as moral judges over what is good. You see, we'll call ourselves good and we'll ignore the fact that we're the ones who are ready to trash an entire relationship because of a grudge. That we're the kind of people who want grace and forgiveness but others need to pay fully and give full account for how they have wronged us. And that we want, again, grace in all of these things, but we're critical. Critical of the decisions that others make, the things that they do, the ways that people look or act, and we'll even speak ill of them to others. 
And we're the kind of people that oftentimes, when we hear of the experiences of blessings that others receive, we can't help to have it stir up in us emotions of being discontent in our own lives, even envy and jealousy for them. See, often when we have a difficulty with reconciling the concept that God is good, and by reflecting upon the circumstances in our own lives, we have to fess up to understanding that it's because we feel like somehow we're the moral judge on what is good. And what we see in God's word is that, you know what? God can handle that. And he can take that. Because he is good. And what he desires is rather than those feelings of difficulty with reconciling that God is good in the midst of our circumstances, causing us to then cast God off or push him away or discount or discredit him, that he would invite us to come and to see that he is good. See, as I look around in this room, I see that oftentimes there are major circumstances in life that would cause us to have a difficulty in reconciling that God is good. And this is not because we somehow feel we're the moral judges of what is good, but because it's just hard. If I look around, I see people who have buried sons or daughters, who have lost husbands or wives, people who have experienced the pain and turmoil of divorce and brokenness in their family situations. Abuse, abandonment. In those circumstances, it can often be difficult to reconcile how it is that God is good. And God can handle that. His desire is simply that our difficulty with that would not cast or write him off but he invites us to see that he is good. That from the beginning of creation to the very handing over of his son over to death, he has had our welfare at heart. I want to share for you today uh, a little bit of a story. This is, you guys know Danny Bowman and and his family and a lot of the struggles that they are fighting with as, as their sons, Eli and Titus, deal with some debilitating uh, diseases that are, are heart-wrenching when you understand the details of it. And I asked Danny as he, uh, he shared a, some writing, a devotion that his wife had, had written, I asked if it was okay if I shared just some pieces of this. Because here it is a reflection of how we as a people, often in our circumstances, can struggle with reconciling that God is good can live in the midst of that invitation from God to see that he is good and that he desires our welfare in all these things. So here's just some excerpts from what was shared. These days have been hard. They stretch me to new limits, expanding my soul and eyes to new things, mostly painful things. It's always weird for me to answer the question, how is Titus doing? Or, well, I need to make a well-check visit for him, you know, um, well, he's good, I, I guess. Awkward silence. I mean, really, what do you say to that? 
Well, he's dying, but you know, we're good. Last night I dazed off until my husband interrupted and asked what I was thinking. I told him he didn't want to know. It wasn't very uplifting. When he pushed for the answer, I declared I want our normal life back. The one where two rambunctious boys drove me absolutely crazy, ran me ragged from sunup to sundown, but it's gone. I can't get it back. I can't get back there. I live in two worlds right now. The one where I'm grasping for any thread of control over this situation. Just one ounce of human promise that I can step in and save my sons from this monstrous beast that is batting disease. This world where control is necessary for survival is easily understood by me and by others around me. Of course, I feel this way. Of course, I feel this way. But the second world I live in is this obscure world of joy. Joy. It's a word Satan is trying to convince me to believe means giving up the fight or to define an apparent front I'm putting on to make people think I'm okay. I don't use this word lightly. What does this even mean to have joy in the midst of this heartbreaking place where we've been cheated of all we thought we should experience and receive? My husband actually said these words to me that, the other day. You seem happy. I like that. My heart swells and my mind reels all at once. How dare I be happy? How dare I joy? I should be consumed with anger, sorrow, fear. Surely those emotions will get us somewhere. I mean, doesn't anger become a call to action? Here's the thing. Happy is only a part of joy. I found that joy is being fully present in a moment, fully feeling the pain we are in, and still finding the courage to claim thankfulness. What God has given me rises above circumstances. My joy is purely based on the beauty of who God is, not the ugliness that has come upon our family. My joy is based on a God who is good, loving, who feels this pain with me, who is in control with our best interests in his heart. This doesn't change. It won't change if a cure is found to save our boys. It won't change if this disease takes them away from us. So now I know I can have joy even in this. And when I see lives changed, people learning of deep, secure, safe love in Christ, because of our story, I have joy. It's a major perspective shift. Think about it. We see the path Jesus took to the cross, being crucified, an intense, horrific, painful death. And we call that path good. Good? Really? Why and how could we ever call that good? Because we know the end of the story. We know that it had to happen that way for sin and death to be conquered. To loosen the grip of death it had around us. And when Jesus came back from the dead, proving he could overcome all, yes, even death, and make all things good. Yes, even crucifixion. Then why can't our situation be seen as good? Having joy in this life does not numb me to the pain of it. I can't tell you how many times I've cried, like hard, ugly cries. How many times I've pleaded with God to change the storyline. How many times I've felt such deep pain when a time-hop picture, curse that app, pops up. 
or a video is watched and I see that Titus I know is still inside. I believe Jesus felt every ounce of pain on that cross as much as anyone else who had ever put to death in that dreadful way. And pain, yes, I feel it, to the core. And almost more so because I've opened myself up to, fu- to fully feel and to seek the joy. And she closes with this. We have the opportunity to turn to God, the only begetter of grace, and find all the fullness of joy. You see, in the midst of the circumstances of our life, it doesn't discount or discredit that God is good. He gives us invitation and welcomes us to him so that we would see that from the beginning of time to the handing over of his son to the death on a cross and each and every day until Christ returns that he is good that all he has done that he desires for our well-being that sin and death the devil and all things we handled and taken care of by him and that we will experience his grace Over the next number of weeks, we're going to be taking a look at a scripture from Titus chapter 3. And in these verses, we begin to get just simple pictures, at least, connected with the image of water, of how it is that God soaks us in his grace. Because he is good. I want to read that verse, of course, thinking back that it all began with Genesis chapter 3, where it talked about when there was nothing, God hovered with his spirit over the waters already beginning out of his goodness to deliver grace to us. Here's Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and on. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior so that being justified by his grace, heirs, according to the hope of eternal life. Will you join me in a word of prayer?